Welcome back to our final spring session of midweek Bible study. Uh, I just deeply appreciate Team Holmes for providing outstanding teaching from Philippians 4 these past couple of weeks. Uh, Jonathan and Jen Holmes are incredible gifts to us at Parkside Green. So just be sure to thank them if you get the opportunity to do that. Uh, for me personally, these past couple of weeks have just flown by. I, I can't believe that we have come to the end of this rich, powerful portion of God's Word. And as we look at the conclusion, we'll note how Paul has brought the Philippians and us full circle. <laughs> you know, coming full circle uh, isn't just about uh, going back to your hometown or your childhood house and, and realizing you're a changed person. Uh, it's evident here, right, that in these final verses, Paul is going to kind of bring us back to familiar words and familiar ideas. And we realize that, wow, we have come so far on the journey through this letter that hopefully we are in a much different place than we were when we started. Here's what Paul says at the conclusion, Philippians 4, 21 to 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We'll use a couple of headings uh, to uh, guide our study of these final verses. They are special greetings and special grace. And then we're going to use three more headings to kind of look back on the letter as a whole. And they are learning about God, learning about God's people, and learning about the gospel. So we're going to start out with the special greetings in verses 21 and 22. Paul tells the Philippian Christians to greet every saint in Christ Jesus, right? Every saint, each one of God's people, every single person who was set apart as holy because of their relationship with the Messiah Jesus, they should be given a special greeting. In Paul's day, that certainly meant that in Christ, Greeks were to greet barbarians and vice versa. And Jews were to greet Gentiles in Christ and vice versa. And in our day, it might mean that in Christ, Republicans and Democrats and Independents are all to greet each other, as well as rich, middle class, and poor are all to greet each other, right? Whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, those from every ethnic background in Christ are to greet each other as brothers and sisters, fellow citizens of heaven. Our names are written in the Book of Life together, and we have a shared focus on and a shared loyalty to Jesus. Well, not only were the Philippians to greet every believer in Jesus, but the brothers who were there with Paul, probably remember he's imprisoned in Rome some 800 miles away by foot and by boat to, to get to Philippi. All the Lord's followers there with Paul were sending their greetings to the Philippians, right? And today we might think of Maybe how the, the Zellers in Dubai or the Wrights in Uganda can send their greetings to us at Parkside Green and vice versa. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters, right? We're all part of God's family. So here's the key lesson, right? We shouldn't let any, any temporary worldly allegiance 
divide us within the family of God. So, we've seen that the Philippians were to greet every saint in Christ Jesus, and now it's going to come right back to them in verse 22. You see that? Where Paul says that all the saints greet you Philippians, especially those of Caesar's household. Hmm. You may know from background study that many in Philippi were rewarded with homes and with full Roman citizenship for their part in victorious battles over Julius Caesar's conspirators and assassins, Cassius and Brutus. So those in Philippi may have had a very special connection with those of Caesar's household. Now let's debate it a bit among scholars. It seems as though, from what we read here, that some of the emperor's own personal attendants and servants had become followers of Jesus. How beautiful is that, right? The gospel had penetrated the very heart of the Roman Empire. The Philippians, it seems, had brothers and sisters in Caesar's own household. Wow. (laughs) Well, be that as it may, Paul's main focus here is on the unity of all followers of Jesus, right? The Philippians were to greet every single believer in Jesus and every single one of God's people greeted them in return. You see, special relationships within God's family call for special greetings. I don't get to see my uh, older brother Rod very often. As an adult, typically, I just got to see him once a year, maybe a second time around, you know, Fourth of July, always at Christmas. Uh, But whenever we saw each other, even if it was just once or twice a year, I mean, we greeted each other with just this big, warm bear hug. He was just a big barrel of a guy. And, uh, and it was just, uh, you know, it's got to go beyond, when Christians greet one another, it's got to go beyond just a, a kind of perfunctory, how you doing? <laughs> and it's got to be some kind of expression of our special closeness within the family of God. I'm sure you can find the appropriate way to express that special closeness when you greet other Christians, every other Christian, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, any follower of Jesus who is heaven-bound, we greet with a special familial greeting. Well, these special greetings are then followed by special grace in the final verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, Paul says. And he's ending the letter not with a whimper, but with a bang. with what we need most, right? The grace of the Lord Jesus to be with our spirits. He he reminds the Philippians and he reminds us that Jesus is Lord, which means he is God, fully divine, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, sent to save his people, and that Jesus is the one who gives grace to our spirits. You see, Paul wishes for the spirit of each believer to experience God's grace is unmerited favor that comes uniquely through union with Jesus Christ. What better note to leave ringing in the Philippians' ears and also ringing in our ears today than the life-changing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's the grace that had transformed Paul from a raging persecutor of the church to a loving apostle of the church. It was the grace that was completing the good work that God had begun in the Philippians. And it is the grace that saves and strengthens us 
today as followers of Jesus as well. I think it's really easy uh, to just kind of gloss over these concluding verses as ho-hum greetings and, and a standard sort of benediction, but that really is to miss what is here. You see, the standard goodbye in Greek letters was just farewell or be strong, but Paul's concluding words, just like his opening words, are really unique. Remember at the start, Paul addressed his readers as all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and he wished them grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now at the end, Paul also speaks of greeting all the saints in Jesus Christ. And he expresses his wish, and I think it's also perhaps his prayer, that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with their spirit. You see, the grace of Jesus, oh, that grace, forms the bookends of this letter at start and at the end. So if you have come now full circle with Paul as he ends on the same note with which he began, the precious, life-changing grace of the Lord Jesus. But as we end, I hope that we are in a much different place than when we started our study way back in January, even though it has still got snow on the ground today. Along the way, we have learned so much about God, about God's people, and about the gospel. So let's just review a couple of really high points from the letter. What exactly have we learned about God? In the first chapter, we learned that grace and peace come from God the Father and God the Son. See, grace is God's free, unmerited favor and love abounding to sinners. And peace, of course, is both the social and the personal harmony that flows out of our reconciliation with God the Father through God the Son. When God gives grace to his people, the result is peace. And we learned then that God is the source of grace and peace. In the second chapter, we learned that Jesus Christ is fully God and he willingly joined himself to humanity, the God-man who took on the form of a servant and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, given him the name that's above every name, so that at Jesus' name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, we learn that Jesus went from the heights of heaven and heavenly glory to the depths of earthly crucifixion. Why? So that we might be resurrected with him. In the third chapter, we learn that God provides us with righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and as we come to know Jesus more and more and more, we come to realize our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Yes, I, I may be an Ohioan, as Governor DeWine often reminds me, and an American, true enough, but first and foremost, my home is in heaven. <laughs> and that's where the Savior Jesus is going to transform my lowly body to be like his incredible, glorious body. So we learn that God does a work of transformation in us that we can never achieve on our own. In the fourth chapter, we learn that when we let our requests be made known to God, he's going to send this surpassing peace that, that, that will guard our hearts and our minds 
in Christ Jesus, and that we have the privilege of financially supporting gospel ministries, as the Philippians did with Paul, knowing that God will supply every need of ours through his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We learn then that God is a God of peace and a God of provision. God is great. <laughs> and next we ask, what well, have we learned about God's people? Well, in chapter 1, we learn God's people are called to be prayer warriors who pray not just for others' physical health, which that's good, but also we see modeled in Paul praying for others' spiritual growth in love and knowledge and discernment and purity. See, when God's people are in circumstances that look bad, and believe me, Paul's chains there look pretty bad, uh, that we've got to remember that God may be using it all to accomplish much higher purposes than we comprehend. No matter what, right? No matter uh, whether in plenty or in want, for God's people to live as Christ and to die is gain. In chapter 2, we learn that God's people should do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but instead humbly put others before ourselves, right? Look out for others' interests, not just for our own interests. We should do all things without grumbling, no, no complaining or disputing, that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, right? So we're called to shine as bright lights in a dark world, in a crooked and perverse generation, to, to hold fast to the word of life and to hold forth the word of life to others. In chapter 3, we learn that people, even at their very best, even at the top of their religion game, as Paul was within Judaism, we cannot earn acceptance with God. Right? No matter what our resume says, we are spiritually bankrupt. I mean, it is all lost before God. So rather than trusting in ourselves, we must trust in Jesus, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves, putting us in right relationship with Almighty Holy God. And because Jesus has made us his own, we're able to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. You see, we don't work for our salvation. Jesus has accomplished that. We do work out our salvation. And in chapter 4, we learn that God's people are to rejoice in the Lord. Not just sometimes, but always, always rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. We're called to turn our worries into prayers, right? To think about good and godly things. And no matter what our circumstances, we can learn to be content and actually generous in our giving to gospel causes. We are part of a worldwide family of God, and we all just soak in the grace of Jesus, which is with our spirits. Lastly, we ask, what have we learned about the gospel? Well, the first chapter teaches us that God had appointed Paul to defend the gospel, and I think that's why Paul was thrilled that even his imprisonment was serving to advance the gospel, right? All the praetorian guard had heard why he was there. But the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus, that wasn't just for Paul. That's not just an apostle thing. All the followers of Jesus should conduct themselves in a manner worthy 
of the gospel. That includes you and me. And that's why we see not only Paul in chapter one, but Timothy in chapter two, and Yodia, and Syntyche, and Clement, and others in chapter four, having labored for the gospel. And Philippians also, this letter does a marvelous job of describing what the gospel is. See, the bad news is we're all sinners and, and God requires us to be righteous because he is a righteous and holy God. But we can never establish our righteousness before God. Can't do it. <laughs> but the good news, and really it's the great news, is that God has provided the righteousness that we need through faith in Jesus. He's the God-man who died in our place on the cross and then rose from the dead victorious and is exalted and seated at the right hand of God. In the end, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And right now, brothers and sisters, we have the great privilege of being his ambassadors and sharing the gospel with people while there's still time for them to embrace that gospel and be transformed willingly in this life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is rich beyond measure. And as we look back over this short letter from Paul to the Philippians, we stand amazed at all you've taught us about you and about us and about the gospel. And we confess that we fall way short of who you call us to be as your people. But we rest in the truth, Lord, that you who began a good work in us, you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, we ask you to make us into a humble people who look out for others. Make us a united people in Christ, a joyful people who rejoice in you, a dependent people who don't trust in ourselves but trust in Jesus. Father, make us a forward-looking people who live as citizens of heaven. Make us a praying people who cast all our cares upon you. Make us an obedient people who practice what we know to be true. Make us a content people, no matter what our circumstances, and make us a generous people who support gospel ministries. Make us a grace-filled people who shine our lights brightly in the world all for your glory, forever and ever, through Jesus we pray. Amen.